Hello and welcome to the third episode of The Broadcast, our regular podcast to discuss pensions and savings issues. I'm your host today, David Brooks. I am Technical Director here at Broadstone and I'm also joined by my co-host Rachel Meadows, who is Head of Proposition. Hi Rachel. Hello Dave. Um, we're also going to have uh, a guest later, Kim Jones from the uh, pensions team at law firm Fries, to discuss mergers and acquisition activity and those pensions aspects that come up um, in those areas. However, before we get on to that, we have a couple of news stories to discuss, and both of these look at the impact of large macro policies on pension savers and pension schemes. As we emerge from the impact of the COVID pandemic and also cope with the effects of Brexit, inflation appears to be on the rise. It has risen from 2% in July to 3.2% in August. For many occupational pension schemes, the most important inflation figure of the year is September, which will be released in the middle of October. What isn't clear is the length of time this inflationary impact will remain, with the impact of furlough and spikes in demand to potential causes. However, with haulage issues, which we're all living through at the moment, it seems likely to remain stifling supply and we could be heading into a period where inflation is higher than the target 2%. Rachel, if I can ask you what you think will be the impact on individual savers and what they can do to try to mitigate inflation eroding their savings. Absolutely. And it's worth noting as well that depending on the kind of inflation that you're looking at, we're sort of mentioning general inflation measures there, but some specific measures like wage inflation are quite significantly higher than that with figures of over 8% coming in through the last couple of months. So really big impacts. And of course, what we haven't seen from an individual savers perspective is any increases in interest rates from the Bank of England. Now, that might be a really good thing on the one hand, because we aren't seeing things like mortgage repayments going up. So that's you know, that's that's helpful, at least when your uh, incomes are being squeezed by cost of other goods and services going up. You know, we've had loads in the news about energy prices. Like you say, the haulage situation is causing chaos on the shop shelves uh, of all sorts of sectors. So, you know, at least mortgage payments aren't quite uh, racing away just yet, albeit if inflation does uh, continue to stay high uh, over the long term, then we will we will see the Bank of England step in to try and try and correct that. So I think they're still hoping that some of these inflationary pressures are, are temporary and that they work their way through. I think the main thing for individual savers to be aware of really comes to um, thinking carefully about where their savings and investments are held. And the key word there is investments, because when we're looking at cash uh, savings and the interest rates on those, I mean, they've been extremely low for a very long time. And the key message there is that cash is absolutely great for short-term savings, rainy day money, money that you need to be able to touch at the drop of a hat, but that you aren't going to leave sat aside for very long because if the, if the interest rates are very low and inflation is high, every year that savings pot will reduce in its spending power so you can buy less and less with that each year. So the key really, I think, is for uh, savers to have a little look at their savings picture and consider how much have they got in cash, 
how much have they got invested in things like ISA? Where are they investing in their pension? And certainly consider taking some investment risk because if they're not taking some investment risk, they're exposing themselves to quite a high degree of inflation risk. And that can be just as damaging uh, as investment falls over the long term, particularly um, particularly when, we, when it comes to pension savings. I mean, what do you think people should be doing? I mean, you never want people to, to be panicking or making rash decisions. When, in your view, when does sort of a short term spike, like we might have experienced, I mean, the, the economists will tell us that September is usually lower because because of sort of the effects of the summer and all these kind of things. It does, it does mean that September is a bit lower, so maybe it is a, a blip. You know, when does a blip become a trend when you have to start thinking, well, I better take some action to, to mitigate this? Well, it really depends on the wider circumstances. So it's hard just to give a length of time. And I think one of the um, key issues that we've got just at the moment is we've got quite a few impacts which might well be temporary and they're caused by some of the policies that have been in place to try and get us through the pandemic. So we've had um, the unwinding of the furlough scheme. Obviously, that's fed into wage inflation in quite a big way. Um, We've had things like... uh, last year the eat out to help out scheme so when we look in the inflation figures at costs of things like eating out those are obviously much higher this august than they were last august we've also got the impact of brexit we've got these issues with um, haulage staff there are quite a few specific factors which i think the bank of england are rightly looking at and saying well let's just let's just give this time to work through i suspect if if we're still looking at quite the same level of inflationary pressures into the first quarter of next year that they will start to have to act and it's probably at that point that savers at an individual level might be not necessarily concerned but you might just want to be a bit more proactive with your planning um you know and certainly with the winter ahead anyway of probably quite expensive energy bills probably reasonably expensive food bills as we see um some of those uh, supplier pressures hitting retailers you might just want to be a little bit careful with your discretionary spend um but yeah it depends on what your what your disposable spend is each month as well So in terms of the pension side of things, Dave, what are the implications for occupational schemes? Um, Yes, occupational schemes, I suppose, we're thinking of, you know, defined benefit pension schemes. They have their their benefits linked to um, a measure of inflation, which is normally the September one. Um, So I say we said earlier that will come out in in October, whether that's CPI or RPI. Um, And so that's the one that will apply next year. And it's still, if it remains high, sort of around 3%, then the benefits will be higher from the pension scheme, which means... This all sounds like very obvious, but it means that the size of the liabilities or the value of those liabilities will also be bigger. So that's going to have a, a negative impact on schemes um, on one hand. But a lot of schemes these days have been doing their best to try to hedge those risks, to try to mitigate those inflationary impacts by investing in in um, more funky investments, things like LDI and things like that. And so um, they'd be hoping to be insulated from some of it, but very few schemes will be completely insulated they may be 40 50 percent hedged not many schemes are 100 percent hedged um and i suppose inflation also generally has a negative impact on um, equities and their performance and so growth portfolios could also struggle so that's almost like the perfect storm for a pension scheme it's like you know sometimes things go one way or the other but when you have two inflationary impacts impacting the size of liabilities and also reducing your returns 
um, that is not going to put pension schemes in a very very good position. So trustees might be looking at their asset allocation. Um, 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 but also, you know, when you're looking at these asset allocations, you do have to think about um, liquidity. You know, like you were saying before, with individual savers, you do need to get your hands on the money. It's the same thing for for an institutional investor as well at times. So it's difficult to take that judgment because you roll too much um, out of your growth because you're worried about the impact on your growth investments and put it in the hedging. Um, you could be constraining long-term performance and liquidity. So it's, it's a difficult balance. And also, I think you know the, we, we discussed um, you know when do people react and things like that. I think it's it's, it's similar again for pension schemes. You don't just you don't jump just because of, of you know one or two months of, of high inflation. You'll be waiting to see what happens. And I think fingers crossed that it is on the shorter term rather than long term inflation. So I suppose the key there is uh, particularly for pension schemes when you're looking at the investment side of things, you really are planning for the very long term, aren't you? And it's important not to be too reactive to any of these short term circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, it's a human reaction, isn't it? You, especially for, for, for trustees and perhaps even lay trustees, uh, there's sometimes, you know, you do, you sort of attach yourself to something you can understand, you know, and we are, you know, we all generally understand inflation. We all generally understand the impacts of inflation and, you can see it happening. You see it in the press, and you want to do something. You feel it's almost a human reaction. I want to do something about this. I know it's not great, but like you say, the strategy has been set. It's almost like tr- trustees just, you know, remember the advice your investment consultant gave you when they're setting the strategy. You know, you are there for 30, 40 years. Inflation will be higher sometimes, and sometimes it'll be lower. Interest rates will be higher. Sometimes they will be lower, and, and that's the thing. You just have to just, just, just hold your ground and 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 don't. Don't try to react too much to the market. Don't try and, you know, and we say the same with, with um, in, in times of growth or, or even times when the stock market crashes. You don't suddenly sell and think, oh, the strategy's there. See it through. You know, that, that you, you can't panic because no one can time the market. No one knows what inflation is going to be. You know, no one knows what interest rates are going to do. So, yeah, I think it's just trust trust the strategy. I think that's, that's always a good thing to do. That's great advice. Okay, the government um, has also announced an extra tax to fund social care and help the NHS recover from the pandemic. There'll be two phases, with the initial phase being an extra 2.5% increase in national insurance from April 2022. This will mean that employers will pay an extra 1.25%, as will employees pay an extra 1.25%, and also this will impact self-employed who pay national insurance on their profits. However, in 2023, national insurance will revert to the same level and instead, there will be a new health and social care levy, which those working over state pension age will also pay. It's expected to raise around £12 billion a year with this ring fenced for social care and NHS spend. Clearly, Rachel, we're not going to get into the politics of these things. You know, we are just yeah. humble servants to whatever the government decide they're going to do. But obviously, this will have an impact on individuals and employers. And what should they be thinking about this and how they can plan over the next six months before this comes into force? Yeah, so that's a really good question. And like you say, we definitely want to stay well out of the politics on this one. Um, but I think for, from an individual perspective, this follows on really nicely from the last topic that we were talking about with inflation and those pressures on the purse. And, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that this additional national insurance tax from April will also have an impact on your spending power. So, um, you know, from an individual perspective, know it's coming in understand what difference that's going to make to your take home pay April there are some really good calculators that you can find easily online to have a little look what will the impact on your take home pay be you know don't sign up to new uh, financial commitments without understanding what that impact on your income is going to look like 
past April. From an employer perspective, obviously it can be more difficult for employers to try and mitigate these sorts of increases in tax. But I think the one thing that I would say, uh, and you know, from a pensions perspective as well, isn't yet offering salary exchange for your pension contributions. It might be a good time to have a little look at whether you want to uh, to introduce that. So with salary exchange, of course, employers save the national insurance on any employee pension contributions that are swapped over to be made through salary exchange. And employees themselves will also save the national insurance uh, on those pension contributions redirected as well. So it can be a very tax efficient way of contributing to pension. And it can also be a way of mitigating uh, the increases in, in costs for employers, uh, particularly if they uh, are able to keep some of those employer savings, if they've got employees making good levels of contribution into their pensions. It is worth just noting just in terms of um, future proofing that Obviously, we don't know what the impact um, of these changes in full will be on things like salary exchange. So particularly when this increase in national insurance becomes a different uh, different uh, levy from April 2023. So it is just worth that one caveat or note of caution that, you know, that that's probably OK for the next period of time whether that will still be possible going forwards, at least for that extra element of tax that's coming in is another question. But certainly for um, the main bulk of your employee pension contributions, if you aren't using salary exchange yet, you might want to speak to your employee benefit and pensions advisors uh, about the viability and um, possibility of you doing so. I mean, one just one question I wanted to add. I mean, it's a little bit of speculation, but you do always hear about the government talking about you know, merging tax and, and NI. What you, what's your feeling? Is it, I mean, it always sounds incredibly complicated. Is it something that's just going to stay, we're going to live with this two system, you know, the tax NI effectively being a, a tax? And um, do you think they'll ever really get that bitten and, and go for it? It's so hard to know, isn't it? I mean, I, I think this would have been a good opportunity to do that, to throw all the balls in the air. You know, we've just had the pandemic, we've just had Brexit. There are some big, you know, situational reasons why you might want to review your tax system, but the government hasn't done that. In fact, you could argue that they've made it even more complicated with the health and social care levy that comes in from April 2023. So we're not just talking about income tax and national insurance. We're going to be talking about those two plus the new levy. So, in fact, they've actually gone the other way with it. Now, you can't rule out that in future a government might come in that wants to completely simplify um, things. But I think from a political perspective, it's always easier to raise national insurance than it is to raise headline rates of things like income tax, because rightly or wrongly, people sort of perceive national insurance as going towards things that we care about deeply, like the NHS and social care and welfare. And people aren't as sensitive to rates of national insurance going up as they would be to income tax, which they just feel, you know, is sort of being taken out of their pocket, even though in reality, all of these taxes go into the same pot that's used for all of the expenditure that the government makes. So, yeah, there's, a, there's an element of marketing and perception involved mm. in some of the decision making, too. Yeah, definitely marketing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's so easy just to, to do it to do it this way. Yeah. And more complication. Brilliant. We love that, don't we? Pensions. Oh, investments. Let's just make what? it a little bit more complicated to talk to people about. <laughs> when is there not more complications? <laughs> One day. 
I think it's worth, um, I suppose, you know, from the, I know you like your always a pension angle, but I guess from the (laughs) other side of always a pension angle, um, for employers with these increased costs coming in on the national insurance front or the social care uh, levy front, I think what we have seen take a bit of a backseat is any mention of auto-enrolment pension contribution increases. So we've seen that go very quiet into the background Mm. um, and it's unlikely that the government would layer those extra obligations of cost onto employers at the same time. So it's likely that that's been pushed even further backwards in in terms of timescale. No, you're you're right, actually. A guy was talking at an event I was at uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, and he was asked directly you know, what's happened to the auto-enrollment review. And he said it's, I think he, I, I mean, this isn't a direct quote, so I can't quite remember, but I think he said it was sort of, it's going to be a third, fourth session issue for this parliament. So it's not going to happen until mid-2020s. Um, and he, I think he accepted it needs to be done, but there is that definitely that concern about piling some more pressure on employers just at the time they don't they don't want it. Although, you know, as my grandmother say, there's never a right time for anything. So, you know, I still think you know we need to be saving more. That's the that, and that's the that's the problem as well is that people are auto enrolled in, they're paying the statutory minimum, and they might think that that's enough. And chances are it isn't. And it's, it's, it's a confusing message to say, well, the government set something up, let it run for 10 plus years, knowing that it wasn't adequate. Well, why did they, you know, you can answer, you can see another 20 years hence. So, well, why did they do that? Why didn't they deal with it sooner? So it's yeah. it's, it's one of those ones, that it's a plaster they've got to, to, to rip sooner rather than later. But yeah, like we say, it's not going to happen soon. So we are now joined by Kim Jones, Director and Specialist Pensions Lawyer from Freeths, to talk to us about mergers and acquisitions. So, Kim, just to start us off, are you seeing a lot of activity at the moment in the M&A market and how do you see that developing over the next 12 to 18 months? Um, Yeah, we've seen a massive increase in the M&A market at the moment. Um, I think there's been a a lot of opportunities for businesses whereby uh, they previously wanted to acquire a business, um, but actually because of the solvency of some of these businesses, they've actually um, seen a real opportunity to get it at a better price. So I think it's fair to say there's been a massive increase um, in acquisitions at the moment and uh, disposals. Um, which is impacting on a whole range of things, both uh, with regards to final salary schemes and fine contribution arrangements at the moment. So that's really interesting because I think historically businesses that are going through uh, corporate activity have really thought about defined benefit pensions as the pensions issue to consider. But are you seeing more uh, more employers looking at um, defined contribution as an issue to be aware of as well? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of um, overseas employers, um, especially that are looking to acquire UK businesses and more often than not, they're quite willing to take on the final salary scheme, but also with defined contribution arrangements. Um, we've seen two issues there. Firstly, around automatic enrollment, uh, which has been an issue for some time. I think um, it's fair to say on probably all of the corporate activity that I assist with, at least 70% of them have some form of automatic moment breach or issue. Um, there's also an issue around uh, defined contribution trust-based arrangements. We're seeing a lot of employers 
that are inheriting uh, occupational trust base uh, DC arrangements and uh, they're not aware of the governance and the requirements around that, i.e. Um, chairman statement, scheme returns and so forth. So now, as a consequence, they're looking to, to wind those up going forward. So that's a massive area then, isn't it? Because I suppose, you know, particularly if you're looking to acquire you really do need to be aware of what skeletons might be hiding in that closet because it isn't just financial either, is it? There, there is the risk of name and shame and reputational risk with some of these areas too. Yeah, I, I've got um, at least half a dozen clients on at the moment um, that uh, they're, they're new clients to us. We haven't assisted with the uh, corporate transactions. They've inherited defined contribution arrangements, uh, uh, trust-based arrangements, Again, some of them have already been fined by the pensions regulator for not complying um, in terms of preparing the scheme returns, chairman's statement, because they didn't know they were under an obligation. In addition to that, you've then got some um, companies that have actually um, inherited a, a defined contribution arrangement, which has guaranteed annuity rates, which is then poses some problems for them in terms of trying to wind up the arrangements um, going forward. So, yes, um, historically, um, a lot of companies just didn't see defined contribution arrangements as being an issue. Um, it's definitely becoming more and more of an issue going forward. Um, but a lot of employers and companies are not aware of this. So I think that's the key takeaway from that, then, isn't it? If you're undergoing any form of corporate activity, then you really do need to consult a pensions lawyer, whether there's DB, DC or you don't know what in place. Yeah, and and again, I focus there on uh, trust base uh, defined contribution arrangements, but again, automatic enrolment, like I've just mentioned, does cause a real issue. So we, like I said, there's certain sectors as well that seem to be getting automatic enrolment wrong, um, and sometimes it's the contribution rates are not correct. Um, it may be that the declaration of compliance or redeclaration of compliance hasn't been issued in time to the pensions regulator, or the relevant comms haven't been um, undertaken. There's there's quite a lot of things that companies need to do, um, either when they're setting up a, a UK business or um, when they're actually acquiring a business, is doing some quite thorough uh, due diligence. I think the highest fine that I've seen, um, which has been imposed on a company for breach of the automatic enrolment obligations is uh, £50,000. Wow, yeah, so the material sums then, aren't they? Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I guess, from the seller side of those transactions, then I suppose if you're looking to maximise your sale price for, for your business or for an arm of business, then I guess doing some advanced due diligence or doing a bit of a health check so that you can uh, dispose with a, a clean bill of health might mm -hmm. be money well spent. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Rachel. What I would recommend is that if anybody's thinking to do any um, selling their business is do having an audit, undertaking an audit, especially around automatic moment, making sure you've actually got the correct pension contributions, for example. Um, you'll be aware, Rachel, that uh, most companies undertake automatic enrolment and have based on qualifying earnings with the 8% pension contribution. But there is also the alternative quality requirements where there's some pension schemes that are um, having different contribution rates, but they're not uh, self-certifying. Um, so again, I would uh, suggest that some form of audit is undertaken because when I'm acting for buyers, one of the things 
I will request, especially if I can see that there's a breach, is some form of indemnity. Um, and again, you've just got to be mindful around casual workers. Historically, people ignored casual workers, but there are some sectors that have a number of casual workers and they haven't automatic enrolled them, which um, in some cases we've seen price chips being undertaken on uh, corporate transactions to take account of the fact that the buyer going forward is going to have to automatic enroll those individuals and remedy any historical breaches as well. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And I would completely agree with all that. And I think the other area that we've seen come under more scrutiny is salary exchange arrangements as well mm-hmm. and making sure that they have been set up correctly. Is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, and especially at the, the moment, we're seeing um, more and more companies as well establishing uh, salary exchange arrangements, um, and especially um, before April 2022. But also, we've seen a number of employees that have actually established salary exchange arrangements, and they haven't uh, undertaken it correctly, or with furlough, the pension contributions haven't been done correctly. So again, we do quite a lot of due diligence when we're doing corporate uh, transactions to make make sure that uh, the correct pension contribution has been made, but also that nobody's been falling foul of the uh, national uh, minimum wage. Um, and then there's obviously issues around paternity and maternity, um, people opting out of arrangements um, and how that's actually been dealt with historically. So, um, yeah, again, it's, it's a real minefield where you've got salary sacrifice arrangements. Um, yeah, so Kim, so just thinking about defined benefit schemes again a little bit. At the time of recording, we are still in the old regime, but in a, by the time this comes out, we'll have gone into the new regime where the regulator is going to get a lot of extensive new powers to fine people, send people to prison, all these kind of things for what they might do around a defined uh, benefit pension scheme. It's definitely on the radar for most of us in the pensions world. Do you think it's, it's made its way onto the boardroom agendas of employers? Um, I don't think it has actually um, at the moment. I'm I'm dealing with a number of um, corporate transactions at the moment where um, my clients are actually requiring um, businesses that have actually got final salary schemes. Um, I do get quite asked a, a, quite a few questions now about whether we're going to be going for clearance. Um, and you know whether it's a notifiable event. Uh, this again, there doesn't look to be a lot of engagement even now with the trustees of final salary schemes where there's any corporate activity. And I think it does come as quite a surprise to to some businesses when we're mentioning the Pension Schemes Act 2021 and what that's going to mean. Um, the the one thing I would say on this, David, as well is we're already now seeing an increase in regulatory activity going on. I, I've got um, quite a few clients at the moment where. Um, they're being contacted by the pensions regulator regarding historical corporate transactions where they're looking at imposing some form of financial support direction. So I think there is going to be an increase in um, that going forward. So I think it is something that companies need to be mindful of um, going forward uh, before they even contemplate undertaking any form of um, corporate activity going forward. That's interesting. So do you think... It sounds like from what you're saying that the, the new rules, while you know we know they're for going forward, and the regulators said they won't look back, although they might mm-hmm. look back a bit. But you know they're not going to you know look back too much. I think they're being slightly emboldened by the new powers and actually being a bit braver with what you know pre- previous activities. Then that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely, David. I, I did wonder at some point whether they would have the regulator would have a, a capacity issue. Um, 
But I, I think, no, I, I think we're definitely going to see an increase in the regulatory activity. I think it's going to take a few years. Um, and like I said, just based upon the work that I'm undertaking at the moment, the corporate transactions have been undertaken some time ago. Um, so I, I do think the pensions regulator is going to be quite forceful um, and flexing its muscles um, going forward. So, um, yeah, I think you, you, you're correct there, David. OK, no, that's really interesting. Um, but do you, what is your sense for the pension scheme powers? Do you think, you know, you hear a difference of views, don't you? I've read lots of consultants being very concerned that, you know, we're all going to be on the hook if something goes wrong, trustees, advisors, everybody. Whereas the, the government and the regulator have tried to reassure us to say, no, no, it's, it's not everybody, it's not normal behaviours won't be caught by this. What, where do you sit on that, on that sort of, sort of t- uh, line of people with the two extremes? Um, I, well, I think it's it's going to be, I think there's going to be a little bit of a frenzy again. I think when there was the requirement for clearance applications to be undertaken, we saw a big frenzy of people um, undertaking uh, clearance applications and then that was holding up corporate transactions and you were having a lot of calls with the pensions regulator to get their availability. I think we're, we're going to have a situation of that where people are panicked by it, consultants, lawyers, uh, trustees, and then I think... I think it's going to slow down um, a little bit and I think they are going to be focusing on the the companies that haven't engaged with the pensions regulator, haven't engaged uh, with the trustees and are looking to do something, whether it's abandoning the scheme or taking the value out of the business, um, which hopefully a lot of the, it won't impact on a lot of the scheme. So um, I'm, I'm sort of, um, I haven't really given you a definitive view that I'm sort of um, uh, wait and see, I think, is, is my approach. Uh, yeah, no, I think I, I, I've, it's an unfair question, really, but I thought I'd ask it anyways. So you got, thank you, know, you. Got, you got you there. <laughs> but it is really difficult. I mean, because the thing you can think of, so we could we could all sit here and think of scenarios where the trustees make a decision, which means that there's less money coming into the pension scheme from the employer, mm-hmm. and then the employer falls over, and it's like, well, if you hadn't, you know, extended that recovery plan, or if you hadn't, you know, taken that, con- you know, contribution holiday over, you know, during the pandemic or whatever might happen next, mm-hmm. it's it's you know that's clearly they've you know you've reduced the amount of money in the pension scheme to pay the benefits well that's yeah. you know it's almost textbook that you're going to prison mm. you know probably not but you know what i mean and it's that's why people are, are worried it's just it's just too wide and i don't know how reassured we can be from kind words from the pensions minister or or, or the regulator mm. that oh no we're not going to do that because there's not even i'm sorry i'm waffling now but there's not even any suggestion you know the things that happened this is in reaction to you know the carillion vhs mm. That those people would have ended up going to prison or being fined a million pounds either. So it's really hard to try to pin down where we are on this. Yeah, and, it, and it's, I still find it quite surprising that um, even recently um, we, we've been made, made aware of uh, a client um, that has actually just uh, actively abandoned their scheme on the advice of one of their advisors. Um, now, I had another one of those a few years ago. So it's I'm still surprised that, that this still goes on, that they, they take all the assets out of the business and set up a new co and then just leave the scheme where it is even now where we are. So, and, and I suspect the pensions regulator is looking to capture those individuals and their advisors that advise on those things because more often than not, these sort of businesses, it is the advice of their advisors why they've done this. Um, and it tends to be um, an advisor that doesn't have specialist pensions knowledge. And, and again, we, we see this quite a lot. It's, uh, Rachel and David, you know, it's 
pensions is uh, very jargon heavy, very technical, um, and it's not an area that you would probably have a go at without knowing the ramifications. Um, but even now we are seeing that. So I, I think that's probably what the pensions regulator is thinking. And, and obviously you're aware that the pensions regulator um, is acting as game, gamekeeper for the uh, pensions uh, protection fund. Um, so it's trying to avoid any, any pension schemes going in there. So... Uh, yeah, it, it'll, I think it'll be an interesting few months. Mm. I was just thinking as you were talking as well about, you know, I was asking you about whether it's on the genders and whether it's, you know, up there. I don't know whether the pensions regulator just isn't well known. In our bubble, in our world, the pensions mm. regulator, you know, especially in the UK, maybe less so Rachel, but in every meeting we have, the pensions regulator will get name checked for something. You mm-hmm. know, the trustees, this is what you should be doing. This is what you should be thinking about. Just whether the regulator is just visible enough at that level of the, the employer, the sponsor side, for them to be worried about the regulator. Mm. You know, maybe they're just, you know, this regulator's been around for, you know, 15, 16 years and doesn't, hasn't done a great deal of things, you know, mm. but, you know, that, that would cut the front pages of a newspaper. Maybe that's what they, in a way, what they need. They need a big win. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think more visibility. I think um, the pensions regulator, I am seeing more companies are becoming aware of the pensions regulator, I think in the sense of automatic enrollment that's raised their profile, but less on the final salary. So I know us as a firm and my pensions team, we actively are um, speaking with our, our corporate colleagues and providing regular updates so that they're aware that as soon as there's any form of corporate activity going on with one of their clients and they know that there may be a final salary scheme in place, that they know to come and have a conversation with us or that there may be some issue and it might be that there's going to have to be some engagement with the pension regulator and I think it's worth around corporate transactions mentioning that if you are looking to sell your business or you're looking to acquire a business um, give some thought to the pension scheme sooner rather than later because the one thing that will hold up a corporate transaction will be a final salary scheme so you probably want to get your ducks in a row before you even having any negotiations is giving some thought to your pension scheme, what that means, and making sure you've got all the uh, financial information um, so that you, you're not going to get a, a knock on the door from the pensions regulator or the trustees at, at some point in the future that will slow the transaction down from completing. Yeah, that's really good. That's really interesting. Thanks, Kim. I think, you know, your, your, your two takeaways from your conversations with Rachel and I are planning ahead. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's the summing up, isn't it? Don't take it for granted and don't, you know, and also don't think ignorance, because you, know, you don't think you might not have a problem. If there's pensions involved, there's a chance there is going to be a problem, isn't there? Yeah, <laughs> any pension scheme, um, whether it be ultimate enrollment, divine contribution, divine benefit, or even uh, SASs and SIPs, uh, again, on I know we haven't really touched upon it, but on corporate transactions, again, um, SASs where we're acting for buyers and they've got a SAS in place, then what is that going to mean post-completion? Um, again, severing the SAS, uh, SAS rather, um, from the uh, company before the deal completes is, is probably our, our advice. But yes, any form of pension scheme can probably give any buyer and seller a headache, I think, uh, these days. Uh, it's just something. Planning, like you said, David, is, is definitely the way to go when there's a pension scheme. Brilliant. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Thank you. Okay, now it's time to bust our latest myth of the month. So, Rachel, I'm just going to throw a phrase at you, and I want you to bust it, okay? Annuities are rubbish. No. 
<laughs> so um, this is one of the most common myths that we get confronted with and it really is one of my bugbears so annuities have had a really bad press i mean they've had a really bad press for a long time haven't they even before we had the pension freedoms annuities were being so derided in the press for having these low rates people not shopping around buying the rank, wrong kind of annuity I think, you know, just to to cut to the chase of busting this myth, the the big thing for me is that annuities are what you think of when you think of a pension. They are that absolutely solid monthly income that lasts as long as you last. No matter how long you live for, that money will just keep getting paid into your bank account, making sure you've got an income, making sure you've got enough to live off through your retirement. And, you know, annuities aren't for everyone. They're not as flexible as things like income drawdown. Some people prefer that that flexibility. But annuities play a really valuable role for people that are in good health and people that are risk averse as well. You know, not everyone wants to take the sorts of risks that are associated with income drawdown, particularly in retirement. You know, even if you've been a little more open to taking risks during your working life. It is one thing to take a risk with your savings pot when you have still got working years ahead of you and you can still top that back up. Actually, when you get into later life and that money that you've built up has got to last you for the rest of your life and, you know, you're not really going to want to re-enter the workforce when you're 80, for most of us anyway, annuities really do play that, that nice, safe steady role so you know for some people they are valuable and when I say some people I'm thinking about you know probably a lot of the same people that have a lot of money sat in cash bank accounts if you have a lot of money sat in cash and you're not investing your savings you really can't say annuities are rubbish because you know you, you like safe secure and to know where you stand I think one of the key challenges that annuities face is that it is absolutely true that the amount of money that you'll get from an annuity is lower than it would have been in the past. So if you had, you know, £100,000 in a defined contribution pension pot and you get to age 65, you know, rather than 13, 14 years ago, you might have got maybe £10,000, £11,000 a year for that pot. Now you'll be looking, you know, depending on the kind of annuity you buy, something between you know, four to six thousand pounds. So quite a big drop. But for good reasons, you know, we're living longer. Long term uh, investment growth in the economy is lower. Long term interest rates are lower. So there are good economic reasons why why that's the case. And even the FCA, when they did a review into annuities, showed that as long as you buy the right sort of annuity for your circumstances, and I'll touch on that in a, in a second, and as long as you shop around the market to get the best annuity rate for that kind of annuity, then they re- represent fair value for money. So you're never going to you know, get massive returns, but they do represent fair value for money. Golden rule, shop around. So don't just buy the annuity with the provider that you've saved with. Also, keep mentioning buying the right sort of annuity. So when you get to retirement, uh, you'll be sent an illustration from the pension company that you've saved with, which will give you a couple of you know annuity options that they will offer you. And a lot of people in the past have just ticked the highest number and sent the form back. And often that's been for an annuity which just pays for their own life 
so dies with them, doesn't have any indexation, so doesn't increase each year with inflation and doesn't have any guarantee period. So if they die quite early in retirement, that just stops and they've sort of lost their part or handed that over to the annuity company. So if you're, you know, if you've got a partner, build them in. If you want index linking and inflation proofing, build it in. Take some advice, really. If you were only going to take financial advice once in your life, that would be the time to take it. Annuities similarly aren't perfect and they aren't right for everyone. Always worth saying, you know, particularly uh, with, with these sorts of podcasts, this is not financial advice. It's certainly not individual financial advice. So annuities are not rubbish, but they are also not suitable for everyone. And income drawdown is also a good option for some people. So uh, take advice would be the key uh, thing that I would say. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much for busting that one for us. I think that wraps up um, today's uh, version of the broadcast. So I think we should just need to thank Kim from Freeth for joining us and discussing version and acquisition with us. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.